Pelotero Pickle, episode 30. This one gets a little weird. We're talking poop schedules at spring training. Hunter Green throwing 103 miles an hour. A lot of college baseball talk. We're talking skill versus talent. And Jose Iglesias is a magician. Pickle, pickle, pickle. Chris, this is our 30th episode of Pelotero Pickle. How are you doing today? Good, man. Big day. Crazy. 30 weeks, 30 pickles. 30 pickles. 30 pickles. I'm not really even a big no, fan of pickles. <laughs> there's no better way to kick off pickle than the topic that you brought to my attention last week. We're talking poop. Yeah, I mean, it's an important part of the day. Yeah, I think how did it come up? Your dog was your dog was eating poop. I yes, think? Bolt ate poop. Allie so had Bolt to take it out of his poop. mouth. I have just this ongoing theory that the, the older you get, the more you talk about poop. You get dogs that poop. Uh, you get kids that poop. We poop. Poop cycle. Everybody poop, poops. Poop, like adult pooping is more important than youth pooping. So you just talk about poop a lot, and then we talked about poop schedules. Now, let's just jump into it. Poop schedule, spring training, go. Poop schedule is really important, man, because I don't know how routine-oriented <laughs> other people are, but I'll tell you what, you've got to time your poops well when you're an athlete because I think one of my biggest fears of all time was the idea of having to go during a game because think about that, right? It's not – unless you're DHing. And even if you are DHing, it's still, you know, come on, man. It's too sensitive. You start getting nervous. So you, you combine two huge fears of mine. One is not being ready for an at-bat. And number two is having a poop during a game. And they both kind of go hand in hand. Maybe one stemmed from the other. But spring training's a, a grinder one because you start so early in the morning, right? And you, you typically live this night life type thing during the season, I would venture to say most baseball players in the offseason aren't the early. I know some guys try to train themselves to work out early in the morning. But, I mean, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever, is even if that's like the time you go work out, you know, you're, you're not pooping probably till 8.30, 8.45, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Spring training, you're on the field at 9. You got to get your early work in. You got to eat breakfast. So, I, I mean, you got to get to the field at least – I don't know, an hour before that. And then depending on the size of the clubhouse, how many stalls there are, it's always a, a rush to the bigger stall. Then wet wipes become an issue. It's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. So I always worried. So going into spring training, you have to change your poop schedule and, you know, from what it normally is. First time I ever got on a real poop schedule, consistent poop schedule, summer 2004, NECBL, just the night games, one day blends into the next. It was eating, eating breakfast the same time every morning. It was great. Baseball-related poop it's schedules. A, it's a routine. It's just a routine. You get into this, the, like, it's like Groundhog Day. <clears throat> uh, we were just talking about, I thought it was funny, the poop schedule. I was traditionally, during the season, I was a wake-up-late guy, right? I, I was a go-to-bed-late, wake-up-late guy. So during the season, you're looking at 11.30, probably waking up. Sometime around there, first thing you do when you get up, go to the bathroom. I didn't even need the coffee to go. A lot of people need their morning coffee. 
I just would wake up and go. But think about think about that's like five hours difference. If you're four hours difference, if you're six thirty, that's five hours. So you gotta you know you gotta prep for that. Worst thing you're out on the field first day of practice and you gotta go. I got a good segue right now. You ready? Nice. Nice. Speaking of pooping your pants, <laughs> uh, Hunter Green is throwing 103 mile an hour bullets. Did you see the downward plane on this pitch? I hope Patrick inserts it into the clip. I his, did. His descent angle, it just like he threw it and it just like had a zoom button. It felt like when Mazda used to do those commercials, the zoom, zoom, like his zoom, pitch zoom. has a zoom, zoom. It was like, like 95 on TV looks slow. That pitch did not look slow. 103 looked fast, really fast. I, I'm the worst person. I, people used to ask me all the time, is this guy throwing hard from the side? And I had no idea because the only the only way I knew if I got to start hard is if I swung under his fastball. I could never tell from the side. I, I, you try to gauge off other people. You just you make presumptions about who who knows how to catch up to heaters. Funny story. I thought you were going to segue into uh, big news. College baseball teams. Yeah, there. BC Eagles. Well, that, I mean, we always talk about college baseball teams pooping down their leg. In in their defense. Uh, the Boston College baseball team is no joke right now. Just took two out of three from Auburn. Down 9-1 in the ninth. Shout out to our boys, Alex Trezza and John Murphy. Down 9-1 in the ninth today at Auburn. And uh, put an eight on them in the ninth. And my favorite player, the guy that I want to be when I grow up, Sal Frelick, hit a three-run homer to tie it with two outs. They were down to their last strike at least five times. And uh, big ups to BC. But Again, that was not necessarily a situation of pooping down their leg. As we like to say in college baseball, the team that poops down their leg at least usually wins. BC earned all those, man. They, uh, there were a couple, couple a walk and a hit by pitch sprinkled in, but for the most part, a lot of hits there in the ninth. And then uh, Lucas Gold, two-run homer. So Freilich and Gold both had three homers on the weekend. Both had two homers on Friday in the game and then one today. That's a pretty good weekend, right? Pretty good showing. Not bad for uh... – Weekend series at Wake Forest. <laughs> that that, that yeah. was. A weekend series at Wake Forest turns into you taking two out of three from Auburn. Uh, another shout-out, Evan Slight, first collegiate hit. Grand Slam. Oppo. Sorry about it. I call it I call the crunch wrap supreme. It's not an Oppo taco if it's a Grand Slam. Yeah. That's even uh, – what were the other one? Gorditas? Yeah. Crunchy Gordita. Crunch wrap like is better, though. Yeah, I thought – I, I haven't had Taco Bell. I don't know if I've ever had Taco Bell in my life. Like, uh, like I've never gone to the drive. I might have eaten Taco Bell. If there was like a bag of Taco Bell, I might have grabbed one. Taco Bell is not my jam. I'm so it's, sad for you. It's one of the greatest experiences you can have as a human. I can do Moe's. I've had a, speaking of poop, every day, uh, <laughs> Taco Bell. Uh, yeah, Another I, I, I do Moe's, Chipotle, uh, What's the other one? What's the, is there another one? q Yeah. Uh, but not a Taco Bell guy. There was a, a time in college, and we actually saved this receipt. So on the weekends, we used to get together with the guys on the team that I was close with, and we would make it a point to go out to eat either Friday or Saturday or both or whatever. And uh, never forget this. Four-person car ride, just four people ordering Taco Bell, $87. And we put the receipt on the wall. When, we how old it. were you? 19, 18. I don't know. I, I feel like I graduated college when I was 14. So maybe. Yeah. I don't know. 
we are off the rails right now and i'm all about yeah it. so it happens when you it's record late at night Sorry. yeah it's uh, the late night by the way coming to you live from dell diamond in round rock texas uh got to go to the college baseball game today which was really nice actually because people were outside and the sun was out and nobody was telling me to social distance they had a sign outside but nobody was enforcing it uh it was nice it was nice they're, they're kids are throwing 95 miles an hour kids are hitting doubles uh every single every single hit was celebrated like it was college baseball is getting fun man college baseball is making it's i think so this I is think actually people- the next topic this is the next topic college baseball why is the atmosphere so different uh i think it's just a lot of pent up like we get to play baseball game yeah that's part of it and i also think it, people are recognizing that the collegiate game is far more pure than the pro level game right now. Collegiate baseball is getting a ton of attention. Streaming is a real thing. Uh, college players are abundantly talented, right? Um, and there's just a lot of emotion in the game. I, I compare it to international baseball or playoff baseball at the highest level. The, just watching that intensity and those emotions, case in point was that Boston College game. Guys are storming the field after homers, jumping up and down. It's a big deal, man, and I love it. There's so much pride, and you know what my favorite thing is? And I said this to somebody the other day. Um, the difference is as much as you have your own personal agenda, right, because you want to get drafted or you want to post up or you want to show or whatever, you ain't got to worry about getting released. <laughs> you ain't got to worry about getting sent down. Like, yeah, you might get put on the bench or there might be a guy in front of you, but really still playing for each other and that's i think the the root of it all and again I, i'm glad the, the collegiate game is getting more attention um it's exciting man and we obviously have a lot of guys that we work with that are that are at the at the division one level in power five schools and uh it's exciting to follow man i get i'm bested i'm in i had a college teammate who got drafted he went on to play two years of minor league ball he was two years ahead of me uh set a fielder really fast jeff barrier's name he told me one time that he would have traded both of his years of pro ball for one more year of college ball. Like that says something. It, it's just a different brand of baseball. It's uh, it's not a job. You're there because you love it. Uh, you're grinding the weight room. You're on the buses. You're you're everybody's going through the same fight. It's pretty, yeah. it's it's pretty special. It's it's fun, man. It's fun to watch right now. And to your point uh, uh, that we're kind of on is uh, there's some. There's some really, really talented arms in college baseball more than anything else. I think I think you see the impact of the swing revolution there too, where, where guys are really starting to understand. And they're allowed to move more freely. And not to say that they're gonna they're gonna necessarily break some home run records or anything like that, because it was Pete and Cavilla hit seven hundred and four homers, I think his junior year at uh, Oklahoma State. But I mean, there's some things happening. I think Guys, the, the tendency is players are getting more athletic at a younger age, right? There's much more accountability put on on athleting, on being in the weight room, being diligent, getting the right training, getting the right nutrition. It's so funny when I see, I talk to these guys, and after their games, they're eating grilled chicken and asparagus when we would have been eating $87 at Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and I mean, I think it's translating out on the field. There's, there's some monsters in college baseball, and I think the game's – the game's evolved. Um, I don't necessarily think it's better or worse. Uh, I just think 
there's a lot more focus on the athlete part. And, and when that athleticism shows up, it, it manifests itself in 95 mile an hour fastballs and um, really hard hit baseballs. I think there's still a lot to be learned. This is goes directly hand in hand with uh, the conversations we had with Dante Bichette about the 5,000 at bat rule. Players need to get at bats. Until they get at bats, they'll never really recognize or, or understand how to become the best version of themselves. And that's why I think, you know, it's still a little bit raw and it's still a little bit messy and you still see the emotional side of the game, especially when you're playing on weekends and every pitch is, is so high leverage and there's so much emotion behind it. Um, it's hard to manage that sometimes, but certainly, uh, you know, exciting to watch, I guess. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with Patrick uh, the other day. Curious to hear your thoughts on it. <clears throat> we were talking about just the bump in velocity. It was the Hunter Green clip that actually triggered the conversation. And he was like, do you think there's going to be guys throwing like a lot more guys throwing 103, 105, like really, really gassed up guys? Um, and my answer was no, not, not at that velocity. I think more kids are going to reach their potential. More kids that never, that may have never reached their potential before are going to reach their potential. But once you get up like a hundred and a hundred plus, I just feel like there's so much genetic factor in play at that point where it's just like, there's only one fastest guy in the world. Like <laughs> there's only one, you know, like if you're, if you're running like sub 10, hundred meter dashes, if you're throwing a hundred miles an hour, like you're, we're talking about genetic thresholds of the human body. Uh, do you think we're going to see a bunch of guys like just throwing a hundred, 102 or, do we just see a lot more guys throwing 97, 98? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more likely There's to be that. Jump. There's a big jump there. I think it's more likely to be that. I always talk about the thresholds, right, um, for, for uh, one. Let me, let me say one more part about it. Um, we were talking about uh, Lighter and the Kumar Rocker guy on, on Vanderbilt. Like, these kids are throwing – like, there's a ton of kids in college baseball. I feel like you go on Twitter, it's like 97, 97, 97, 90. There's a bunch of kids throwing 97. Well, it so goes, that, another factor. that goes that goes hand in hand with what we we're just talking about, right? There, these kids are going to start working with personal trainers when they're 13, 14 years old. They're working with guys like Eric Cressy and, um, you know, these big time strength guys. Uh, I, I was at Exceed Performance in uh, in Westboro the other day, and Shane Davenport, great strength coach, versus a ton of NFL guys, professional players, and you got 13 year old kids, 12 year old kids, 11 year old kids that are, are doing strength and conditioning classes. And I think it's that market's open itself up to the, to the amateur athlete, right. And parents are um, very consumed with the idea of getting their kids the best opportunities, which is fair. Um, I, I think that focus is going into training. And as much as we're seeing these increased velocities, I think we're, we've obviously seen a massive insurgence of Tommy John surgeries and uh, and shoulder problems and the likes because there's such an emphasis on velocity and because it's measured now too, right? Where instead of the potential of being in a high school game or a travel ball game and not seeing a radar gun, everybody sees a radar gun where we used to have to do the eye test more often than not um, when we were playing when we were growing up. So it's, it's funny because uh, – you're putting you're, people make the correlation that velocity, both in hitting and pitching, reverts to or, or correlates to being a better player. And I, I don't, 
I don't necessarily think it's true. So I, I watched a game yesterday. I watched uh, Indiana and Rutgers and Minnesota and Rutgers are at least parts of them. And the guys that were low to mid nineties, they just didn't, didn't locate one pitch. I mean, I'm talking, I didn't see one spot get hit. So again, it's, what what what's the uh, what's the end game? What's the priority as a pitcher? Is to get somebody out or to throw hard? And I think those lines are a little bit blurred now for kids. Um, I don't know. Say you got to throw hard before you can locate hard. Yeah. Well, but do you learn to throw first, or do you learn to to throw? Like, do you just learn to throw, or do you learn to throw accurately first? Which, which one is it? And I think you can kind of put them go hand in hand, both of them, at the same time. That would be my strategy anyway, but it's not – there's nothing sexy about throwing a fastball on the black. <laughs> you know what I mean? When uh, yeah, but when you're growing I up – I grew up watching Greg Maddox pitch. That was pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, but when you're growing up and you're talking to your buddies, like nobody's trying to win the fastball on the black contest. They're trying to win the who throws it harder contest because that's the only number that shows up on the, on the, on the gun, right? It doesn't show what your command score is. There's no command score. Um now, it's a different There's story. Got to be a command score somewhere. Somebody had to have made it up. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not deep into pitching sabermetrics, but there's definitely a command score somewhere. Well, and this this goes uh, into what I was going to say before about the the threshold for hitters. Right. There was a point in time where, you know, we looked at we looked at at those categories of pitchers. You had the you know average Latin righty, average white righty, whatever. You know, the the the, the different buckets that you put guys in and for a long time it was you'd look at the the sinker ball righty um the nick blackburn scott baker carl pavano whoever you want to call it 88 to 92 88 to 91 a little bit of sink maybe a cutter a couple secondary pitches slider change up and they really needed to locate and pitch down the zone to be effective i think that that number has been bumped up now where it's probably 91 to 94 91 to 95 um 95 95 to 97, 98 is plus velo, but still not crossing that threshold of really, really uncomfortable. And then you get guys throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour, 98 plus is now you're starting to get in the territory that's scary for a hitter. And at the collegiate level, it's probably a little bit underneath that. So if you face a guy throwing 100 in college, you go, oh, oh. And, and, you know, there's guys doing that. But I think you start to recognize the guys that end up playing at Division One schools can all handle fastballs. Like I don't think handling fastball is ever the issue. Um, think about Aaron Hicks, right? Think about how talented Aaron Hicks is as a player. We watched Hicksy play for years when I was in Minnesota, and the days we'd face Cole Wheeler, Trevor May in the Eastern League, and we had a gauntlet of guys to run through. There were some dudes in that league. Um, Hicksy never had problems with the fastball. It was just never an issue. Like you throw a ninety-eight to him, he wouldn't care. Um, so college, good college players can handle heaters. And I think that's, that's, that's true as well, where hitters are, are learning how to handle higher velocities because at the end of the day, it's that they're building good swings and, and, and creating reactions to those things. Did you see the, uh, the tweet by Jeff Leach talking about the, uh, the 12 U pitching velocities? Yeah. Saying, uh, and, and I followed the thread a little bit because, because there are people like, I just, I replied, what question mark? Like what? 75 to 78 is gas. Slowest being 72 is firm. 80 plus at that level is insane. Uh, at least it's 50, 70 and not, you know, the, the 46 40 foot miles. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> kids that throw that hard. And he prefaced it by saying, or he, he replied that this is a com- very like high level competitive tournament, like teams flying in. This isn't just like local Texas, like he's in the San Antonio area. Uh, this is high, high end, probably like guest players and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I took a team to Cooperstown one year and saw a kid throwing like legit 82. And it was like, this kid's 12. Give me a break. He's 6'2", 225. And he's throwing, yeah, he's throwing 80 plus miles an hour. Those kids, like to call them a 12-year-old, like they might be age 12, but biologically they're, they're high school players already. It's yeah, crazy. I, I, think, I think part of this is because of the way travel ball is set up now. And we're allowing the better play- – there's just a lot more better better players facing off at younger ages. It doesn't just happen. Uh, I never I never left the region to play an amateur game until – I don't know, we, we went to the American Legion World Series. Like, I, I, didn't, I never got to play games in Florida or Texas. What or about, what about in, uh, in Italy? What was the was there? Yeah, I mean, we, we, the, the competition was high because you were taking – you were taking the best players. It wasn't like you played an in-town league, right? You, you played. So can you explain your? Because most people probably don't even realize you played youth ball in. Italy. Yeah. Can yeah. you Explain that, that scenario. So I was I was born in the states, and I was doing like the back and forth thing in elementary school, and it was funny because at, at a young age, what happens is if you if you just choose to play a sport in Italy, basically the, the town or organization that you play for has your rights; they own you unless you move or your family moves or whatever. And, and they're put in charge of your development. So I happened to grow up in this town called Rimini when I was in Italy, which is where my dad played professionally over there. And uh, we were one of the better cities in Italy, notoriously baseball city. Uh, we had a good hoops team that played at the highest level over there. But uh, baseball was kind of Rimini's thing. And it was in that central part of the country where baseball was really popular. And so when I was seven years old, I started playing little league like little league where it was player pitch not coach pitch or anything like that when i was in italy and then i came home after i'd done t-ball back home and i went and played two years of regular team like pitchers pitching and we had a an a-level team and a b-level team in little league so it didn't really matter how old you were just how capable you were um but it was up to 12 years old and uh so i was playing seven and eight year old baseball in italy at, with players pitching and then I came back home and I had to do coach pitch when I was nine and I, I, was, I was like what is this I don't I don't even understand so I was technically playing at a higher level in Italy and it was because you didn't have in-town baseball so in Milford huge town right huge baseball town where I grew up you know I don't know 250 200 250 kids uh, at age six seven eight nine ten playing little league baseball whatever the number is 150 to 250 kids so you're talking about not necessarily the best players and obviously you, you let the players play. So I would compare my little league experience in Italy to my little league experience here in the States as much better in Italy and much more advanced. So I went back after my coach pitch year and I played, I think my 10 and 11 year old summers, I played in Italy, but I played my 11 year old spring here in the States. So I played spring here and then I went and did my, my 11 year old summer there. And I was part of the Italian national team uh, two straight years in Italy. So I, I not only played for the, the, the city team and we traveled all across Italy. So you, you have to win essentially your, your zone or your district. And then you play at the regional level and then you play at the national level. So you're taking the best cities in Italy and then you'd make regional teams. 
Um, so you'd have every all of the 20 regions in Italy would go play in a big tournament, and then they would take the best 22, 25 guys, and we would go play with the national team. So I got to play in Paris and in the Czech Republic when I was 11 and 12 years old um, in these international European Cup style tournaments. And we were really talented. We had some good players. I, I would say is that, four the, is that where the uh, European team for the Little League World Series would come from? So that was part of it, right? Like when we at the time we didn't we we couldn't qualify for the Little League World Series. Like that that wasn't a thing still. Um, and then now what they're doing is they're taking players from the like all the countries and I think there's kind of some correlation to like kind of you have to pay or be part of some certain group because they're taking players from all of they're picking and choosing from all the countries I'm not exactly sure specifically but if you had taken our our my my 11 or 12 year old little league team the national team in Italy we would have been pretty solid we would have come and competed and that's where I, I faced guys throwing 70 high 60s low 70s at the time um and that's why when I'd come home and I'd play in town, I'd be like, Dad, I can't wait on these pitches. <laughs> you know, the guys that throw slow, I couldn't handle. I'd strike out twice a game, and then they'd bring in a guy throwing good, and I'd hit a ball. I'd hit a homer. Um, so you were the you were the Aaron Hicks of Milford, Massachusetts. Yeah, Milford Little League <laughs> baseball. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly. Uh, it, I think it prepared me really well for having to play up my whole life. Like I played up through high school. I just needed to develop physically at that point. So. Um, but yeah, I think th th there's more kids now that are obviously like playing bigger national events and really getting to see what the other side did. When we were growing up, we thought the kids in Florida all had golden spikes and, you know, silver bats and, you know, they all wore Oakley's and had beards because it was like, well, Florida baseball is way better than Massachusetts baseball. And I think now we're kind of recognizing that's not necessarily the case. So obviously I think the, 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 the groups are deeper, but certainly talented players are coming from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there's talent everywhere. They just play more. They just play more baseball. They see more. Uh, a couple Twitter questions, and I just fired another one out tonight. But uh, <clears throat> topic of skill versus talent. So I'm getting ratioed like crazy in a good way. Uh, I put out who is the most talented player and then i also tweeted out who is the most skilled player of all time uh did you participate did you answer on twitter i did not who you got on the most skilled baseball player of all time bro jackson so i put him in the talent category not skill okay yeah you're right i guess i misinterpreted this is how different our brains are and yet the same um the most skilled baseball player of all time. I hate my answer, but I think it's right. It's it's really hard for me to not say Bonds. Um, it's really, really hard. I, I, so he's the most skilled, probably the most skilled hitter because he faced modern pitching. And I, I think if he played today, he would still be really – if he could play his 2003 season – in modern, like in today, he'd probably I mean, still. This rate. guy also won gold gloves and went 40 40. Let's not forget that. Did so Bonds if, go 40 40? Yeah. If we got to look across right now, if we got to look across, across the whole spectrum of what makes a baseball player, I mean, guaranteed he walks more than he struck 40 40. Out. 
he walked that's why i said it out loud because i knew it i always say that to, to people i'm like don't I, I don't say things out loud unless i'm sure unless i preface them with this in my opinion um but anyway i wonder I what game i want to know what game he got his 40th bag in because he it was 158 games 42 homers 40 stolen bases so it's close. It, it, it was close look at all right so he he definitely walked at least i would say at least 400 more times than he struck out in his career um so we're talking uh, about a guy walked a thousand more times. Than he yeah, I said at least. So I was not wrong. Um, <laughs> Would you say at least how many? At least 400. So yeah, think about that. He had the keenest strike zone awareness of all time. He has the most home runs of all time. And he basically hit 300 for his entire career. Um, and was also a threat to do what most guys couldn't on the bases was stealing a very above average number of bases on a yearly basis. So to me, it's that, that there's, I don't like Babe Ruth didn't do the things that he did. Ted Williams didn't do the things he did. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Babe Ruth also pitched. Uh, yeah, I get it. But I think Barry Bonds could have pitched too, because he probably had 17 outfield assists one year and nobody noticed it because he was too busy winning an MVP. We're going to check that. We're going to check his, his standard fielding assists. We're going to check. We're going to check. We're going to check. We're scrolling. This would be a, a great time for me to fill space with words. Instead 10, of 10, 9, 15, 10, 14, 14, 14. So 17 and 15 are the same. Just up right. Hundred hit 173 assists in his career. And I guarantee you he and, threw the ball hard enough. Seasons. To be effective enough. <clears throat> Do you now. think uh, so? Playing left field versus a uh, center field or middle infield or even catcher. Sure, that's you talking about high leverage positions, but you're winning Gold Gloves at the position, so it's it, uh, it essentially means you're the best defender at the position in the game, right? So, if you can be a Gold Glove left fielder, the argument like when people are like, "Oh, Mookie or Jason Hayward is too valuable," and right, well, if they go to center, they're not going to be that much less valuable. Like it's not like they're not going to be they're. they're I actually think it's harder to play the corners, just FYI. Uh, this coming from a guy who played. Do you know how many gold gloves he won? I didn't know this. Seven. Eight. I knew it was eight. Damn, Pretty good. Seven. Pretty good. I'm I knew it was eight. I don't know why I said seven. Golly, what an idiot. Idiot. Anyway, um, I, I make a better argument. Go ahead. Give me something. I'll listen to anything. Uh, my my pick was a rod oh yeah i saw that on your twitter feed and i hate it i don't want it to be him <clears throat> only two gold gloves that's played, shortstop uh, you're giving him shortstop bias there yeah shortstops yeah of course i am i was the shortstop i'm not saying you're shortstop, gonna way harder than i'm not saying third it's way harder than second it's way harder than first i disagree it's not way harder than third it's harder than third but I think third base is an incredibly difficult position to play. If you go to third from short, it's very easy. I've heard people say otherwise because it, it's a very reactionary position. Like you have to make for, like you have to make really good first think. Step. It's because you don't have to think. You don't have to create time. I I felt I had a much easier time playing shortstop growing up than I did third base. And I, granted, I never did it. We're, talking, we're talking small field shortstop. I, no, I'm talking about like very different 30, big field shortstop. I'm talking about 13, 14, 15, and then one year of college. I, 
I had a much easier time playing shortstop because I had to- I had time to make decisions. I'm a thinker, I'm not a I'm not a reactor, <laughs> nuclear or otherwise. <laughs> um, so uh, it's nice. Uh, a Rod also a 40 40 guy at the age correct. of 22. His had a season where he hit 360 season? something, 362. Did he hit in the season 368 something like that? Uh, 358. It was 358, 54 doubles, 36 homers. Yeah, pretty good. Bonds did steal more bags. First career. Walk the strikeout. For A Rod? Yeah. I mean he didn't he didn't have the uh intentional walks, but he struck out nine hundred times more than than walk. So again, with Barry Bonds, we're talking about the Bonds the, had six hundred and eighty eight intentional walks. The, compared to ninety seven for A-Rod. the best strike zone awareness in the history of the game. Fair to say. Uh the most home runs in the history of the game. 40-40 was like a base stealing. Th- I mean, that's that's my this is my I, I, again. I don't. I, I think my, my arguments on solid ground. I, I I'm not. I I don't dispute. I I'm weighing the uh, defensive position stuff, and it would have helped if Bayrod played third longer. Yeah, third I, I, longer. I wish I wish Blondes played short. Yeah. Somebody said Nomar in your thing, didn't they? Such a sentimental pick. Do you realize how? Good, but you, do you do you realize how good a hitter Nomar Garcia was? He was my favorite player. Yeah, I bought his off glove. the like charts was... offensively, like off the charts. He was there was the time when it was him, Jeter, and A Rod like were revolutionizing the position. They were right after Ripken and or like at the end of Ripken's career. And Garcia Parra was better than the other two. Like he was the more consistent player. And I always used to remember. I mean, Nomar had his quirks, but. The thing that always got me about Nomar is he, if I felt like he lifted his elbow up over his head. His left elbow was like up over his head every time he made a throw. Um, if you ever remember, he, said, he, he did that. He did the, his backhand jump throw was pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, Nomar was. I mean, being up in the Northeast, Nomar was a guy. Yeah, I feel like it, he was my favorite player through high school. He was my favorite player. By it honestly feels like Jeter played for forty-two years, and that Garcia Parra played for eight. And I think A-Rod actually had a longer career than both of them, right? A-Rod's career. I think A-Rod played maybe one or two more years than Jeter did. A-Rod played 22. Nomar just fell apart. His wrist started falling apart. Yeah. Probably <clears> he fixed looks like 14. 14, but he had a lot of partial years towards the end. And Derek Jeter 19? played 20. 20. 20. Yeah. And I would have never and his first his first year was uh 15 games. I would have never it, it's funny because I would never think of Aaron playing longer than Jeter, but he did, and I know he did. But I think Jeter was just in the in New York and in the center of it all, winning early in his career. Yeah. Uh most talented player. I think Ichiro deserves to be under the most most skilled Ichiro. Like there's an element of like knowledge oh, and yeah. precision. Did you see him taking a bat the other day and like Literally put a ball in play. Like it was no, nobody's business. I did not see. Yeah, he took that bat against Marco Gonzalez. Him and Mike Cameron both took at bats on the backfield. Cameron struck out on on like four pitches. Ichiro was like sitting up there, like grinding out maybe, and he flared a ball out to left. And he actually turned around at one point. And he and he and he goes, "Whoo, good eye." He goes, "Good eye," like because he took a pitch, and everybody laughed. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you make the argument because he was like swinging a katana sword instead of a. Uh, P seventy two or a lot of a lot of people said Tony Gwynn, and I said you're giving bad body points right there. 
Yeah, I mean, that's bad body points. It, I mean, if we're gonna say that, then we gotta start getting a conversation with people. I'd be like Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs, yeah. I mean, I'll buy it, but I, I just, I think there's more guys that were certainly more talented across the board. So most, most are more skilled. Sorry, um, most talented. Oof. Like, yeah, now it's got to be Bo, right? Like, Trout's in the conversation. Um, Josh Hamilton. Yeah, Josh Hamilton's a good one, man. Like, he came up quite a bit. Doing stuff in high school that was unheard of. Um, it, it might it might be hard not to say Trout. It, it might be really hard. Uh, it, I mean, it depends on your definition of talent, too. Like, it depends on does talent mean you have to be – there's got to be some element of get it done as a player because – Bo Jackson was good. He just wasn't great. I mean, he, yeah. Bo Jackson was really I think top. if it's, if we're just talking tools, that's different. So yeah. I feel like skill, skill has an element of like precision and execution and knowledge. Man, yeah. Talent the mental is part just like mental. T- talent is more like raw, but still performance. And it shows up. Right. Yeah. So that's why you've Bo. Gotta, you got to execute. You got to execute. I think Bo, so. Bo's probably Bo's a bad answer. It's got to be trout. Is there is there a player historically that represent like Mickey Mantle? I heard some stories about right. Mickey Mantle was I mean he hit both sides of the plate too. Another another person that came up in both was uh, Mookie Betts. I'm surprised you didn't bring him up yet. Nah, Mookie's got talent, man. Mookie's Mookie's he's like he's a skill guy, like but he's. He's smart. He's cerebral. Do you ever watch a clip of him hitting at the All-Star game when he's talking to J.D. Martinez about the swing? He's, like, really exploring, um, using his brain. Because, I mean, realistically, is, is Mookie that gifted? Yeah, like, he can dunk, jumping off two feet. Great bowl. Both 300 games. Great yeah. bowl. We, um, we both went there at the exact same time. But I, I would say Mantle I would say Mantle and Trout, are, are, are they're just different. Man. Mookie's just not built like a truck. And I, I – it's not taking it away from him. I think he's awesome. Like, I love him. He might be my favorite hitter other than South Frelick. Um, but. <laughs> Aggressive. It'll play. It'll play. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah fun conversations. The, the question I asked tonight that I'm getting ratioed on right now, and for those that don't know, getting ratioed means way more comments than likes or retweets if you get ratioed that's it's usually a good sign for engagement uh i'm currently at uh 25 responses six retweets five likes it's a good ratio my question tonight was who took the most impressive bp you've ever seen and why the most impressive bp it's a good question for you it's the only one guy that really comes to mind yeah john carlo I remember he was doing he, his get. He was doing his get him over WBC, around. WBC, WBC, twenty thirteen, Miami. And he was like, the round, the first like get loose, like swing to get loose round, not like I'm loose. I'm gonna like take an aggressive swing, like literally the swing to get loose, just flaring balls to right. He was hitting them fifteen row deep. Balls I, that if I hit, they'd be like bloopers over the first baseman's head. His were going out by a lot. Stupid. I, you know, it's funny. I never stayed out to watch the other team hit unless I was trying to say hi to somebody on the other team or whatever. I never stayed out to watch the other team hit. And when Miami came to Toronto, because I remember the WBC 
and I didn't really get to appreciate. I watched him hit one day when we played when we played him in Arizona, but it wasn't. It just didn't. I was like, so oh my god, it's my first game in a big league stadium type thing. And then I remember in Toronto, he was doing his like get him over, and I, I mean this is like the 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 perfect example of a story getting exaggerated over the course of time. But he hit a line drive like over the second baseman's shoulder, and it went into the third deck. Like <laughs> he hit a line drive that barely went over the second baseman's head, and it went into the first row of seats. Um, I got another one for you. Another impressive VP story. Vladdy Jr. was like twelve in 2015, the year the Blue Jays signed him, or whatever he was, sixteen. I think we they signed he had him. To be, he had to be sixteen. And he came and took VP with us one day before the game. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, this could be violent. And I had spent all year – there were only like a couple select days out of the year that I could go into the, the, the Coca-Cola deck or whatever it was in center. You know, it was like that first row of seats. And then like those stopped in center because we had like a batter's eye or whatever. And then you had to hit it to net the uh, West Jets, West Jets section. I don't know if it's that anymore. It might be Coca-Cola now. So there were very few days when I would hit balls up there. And Vladdy comes out there, he's 16, and his first round, he's hitting balls up there. And I'm turning to guys, and, like, Pilar and I are looking at each other like, I can't do that, dude. I can't. So that that was impressive. Watching Bo take BP when he was in high school was impressive. He hit every ball harder than I did. So that's when I realized, yeah, I wasn't that good. Watching Bo Bichette hitting a group with – literally a dozen major league players and be as a senior in high school and be the best hitter in the group and not be pooping down his legs. What, a, like whatsoever, like yeah, the most just casual, so, he was confident. so chill. Just, he could have cared less. He was taking BP. If I was a senior in high school, taking the BP with 12 big leaguers, I would have been shaking in my boots. Would you have swung and missed at least once? I hope not. I, <laughs> I, at one point, was so nervous when I first got up to the big league, I swung and missed in batting practice. And then I thought about Ted Williams' quote about, you know, rethinking my my life choices, like my career. My if you swing and miss in BP, reconsider your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, 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 I tipped it. I was like, I tipped it. I tipped it. All right. We got, uh, we'll go to post-show here. Wait. Number one. <clears throat> go ahead. Tell me you're going to go where, where I think you're going right now. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about the Iglesias play. Yeah, we're gonna. Well, we got a, a, a double header for a post show. Oh, all right, Def- cool. defensive plays. Uh, I actually want to get your take on Yadi as a catcher. Like historically, where does he line up? But Yadi, he's catching in the seventh inning. By the way, uh, dude, like just go relax. You're a veteran. You're one of the best catchers ever. You don't need to be catching in the seventh inning of a spring training game. But he like told the guy to run, and then he threw him out. That's yeah, awesome. well, and he also had just back tried to back pick at first base, which was awesome. And I didn't and, see that part. No, he so that he uh, somebody slow uh, hit like an infield single, and then they got pinch run for by this young kid Siri or whatever his name is. Sounds like Siri, and uh, and then uh, all of a sudden the kid gets on, and when Yachty back picked, the kid like mutumboed him. He's like. Like, you're not going to get me. And then Yachty just like, was like, yeah, go ahead, man. Second base is right there. Um, you know, second base. Is, up by a lot. Yeah. I mean, he he's pretty incredible, man. 
Um, just if hyper you tell more Yachty, you better be safe. Yeah, he. I mean, he got thrown out by a good four feet. Yachty is one of those guys that, to me that's just hyper, hyper aware of everything that's going on. And I think that's what makes him special. And I also think he either has the best tendons and ligaments ever in his knees or he has none. It's one of the two because, like, catching doesn't bother him. And I know it's a Molina family thing. Like, they, they were born to be catchers, right? That's the Molina's, you know, squatting is like standing for most people, I, I imagine, for them. Um, but, I mean, he's pretty amazing. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine a better defensive catcher in the history of the game. I, it's obviously a thing that it's difficult to gauge because I think looking back over the years, it, it was either you were one or the other. And I think a lot of defensive catchers got bad reputations because they couldn't hit, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be hard-pressed to say that there's a better defensive catcher of all time. And, and I'm going to be frank with you. I didn't really pay attention to catchers when I was growing up. I didn't care. I just didn't think it was that big a deal. Well, Pudge. Yvonne Rodriguez was, was Pudge good. that good a defender, or was he just really like good at throwing guys out because he got himself into throwing situations? He called fa- like the, it was. He's I mean, reported like he called fastballs in every running count of all time. Did he do that? Was that a thing? I that's what I, just stuff I've heard around the game. I'll tell you what, he threw a lot of people out, and he's built like a cannonball, and he threw rockets. Yeah, he did have a cannon. Yeah, I want to see catcher caught stealing percentage all time. This is where it gets like incredibly difficult for you and I to, to have this conversation. Catcher caught stealing percentage of all time. Roy Campanella. Never watched him play. Gabby Hartnett. Buddy yeah. Roser. Al Lopez. Mickey O'Neill. Hank Dowdy. Ray Mueller. Jimmy Archer. Sam Agnew is the first name I recognize. Not even well. Patsy Garrity. That's a great name. Oh, wait. Ray Schalk was in front of him. So get down to 12 is Gus Mancuso, 13, Paul Richards, Clyde, Cl- Clyde Klutz, Mickey Owen, Ira Thomas, Walter Schmidt. Yeah, Jimmy Hegan, Patty Livingston, Roy Spencer, Zach Taylor, Joe Astroth, Wes Westrum, Ben Hegan. Jake Taylor? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're the, all right. Number thirty-three is probably the first one that anybody really knows. His name's Yogi Berra. Yogi threw out runners at a forty-eight point six one clip. Forty-eight point six one percent clip. I, I mean, there's so many names on this list that I don't know because <clears throat> that's how much I would. I just didn't care about catchers, and uh, clearly none of these guys could hit other than Campanella and Berra. Because if not, you'd know who they are better than this, right? Yeah. And just just for context, those guys are Where's all – Pudge is 85th on the all-time caught stealing list at 45.68%. And where's Yachty? we got to find Yachty. I got a different list than you. <clears throat> I got a different list. All right, what do you got? I'm on. I'm, I'm on baseball, on baseball reference. reference. I'm on baseball reference too. I don't know if there's a threshold here for number of cut stealing. I think this is how many years all these guys played too. Yeah. Well, I think we can move on and just say Yadi. Like, are there any other catchers that wear the jump man? 
because that's probably the best separator. Right yeah, there. you have Jordan catcher here. They don't make that for If anybody. you got the jump man, if you got the jump man on your chest, you're doing something right. Yeah, jump man, jump man, jump man. Damn boys up this time. Uh, last, Jose Iglesias is a magician. He did. I'm glad I found this uh, this Instagram by MLB. Like, I like I don't know. He's sideways. He's like upside down. He's like this. And he's you goes, look like you're at shortstop doing it right now too. You're at shortstop yeah. at Brown Rock. Part of my green screen on my kitchen windows here. And he, but he's like he just goes like that and he throws it across the diamond. How do you do that? He's falling like he's angle. His body's like he's. I don't get it. He's like horizontal. Like his head is like his whole body's pointing, like down uh, like towards the third baseline, and he's like supermaning, and flicking his wrist and falling down. Look at that! Look at that wrist! Look at that! Look at that wrist! That was a good tweet. That was a good tweet. Yeah. I don't. I just don't understand it. I don't know how. I don't know how you do that. That's sorcery. I tweeted it out. I, it's sorcery. There's no. There, it literally unfathomable. Like I and I've seen him do it before, and it's even more impressive now because he's seven years older. And I, I can't, I can't conceptualize the ability to do that. Like I've tried to throw balls with no arm action. Like essentially, you have to create your like little figure eight. Like you got to do your perfect throw with just your wrist to get anything on that ball. And not to mention, you're falling down completely on shoulder. And both times I've seen him do it, he's hit the he's hit the first baseman right in the chest. Yeah. That he's play is that, that we're going on a limb and granted spring training and we did it once in the regular season at Fenway. Um, that's the best play I've ever seen. It's pretty impressive. Uh, he had a pretty good year in 2019. Like, he could always hit. He had sneaky good moves, man. When we played against him <clears> in AAA, I remember it was like 2013. I played against him in AAA, it was mm-hmm. like up and down, and people weren't sold on his bat, but he always had good moves. He just needed to figure some stuff out. And if you go look, I mean, he's probably hovering around 300 career batting average if I had to guess. 278. Yeah, I mean, it's in the neighborhood. It definitely more than people thought he was going to hit. Let's put it that way. I think sure. people you were picturing that, him that in like glove. the Aussie. People were picturing this guy in the Ray Ordonez, Aussie Smith batting average categories. So kudos to him because 280 is no joke to play shortstop at, at, at the high level that he does. Um, Ray Ordonez is a sick shortstop too, man. He could do some things. His defensive war in 2016 was 18, and 17 was 14.4, and 18 was 13.6, and Cincinnati in 19 was 11.9. Do you know how many gold gloves he has? Glacius? Yeah. Zero. Pretty crazy. Who's winning gold gloves this short? How do I find that? Patrick Hannon, he hates when we look up stats when we do this. Andrelton Simmons. Andrelton. Is he, is he winning one? Uh, yeah. And Iglesias been back and forth American League, National League. Brandon Crawford won one. Uh, but not Josie Iglesias. He's been hurt a little bit too, so I don't think he's really played a full season. Maybe he did. When he was, he played a lot of years in Detroit. But Andrelton Simmons was in for most of those years. Who's winning the American League Gold Glove at shortstop? J.P. Crawford. We're going backwards. J.P. Crawford, Francisco Lindor, and Dalton Simmons, and Dalton Simmons, Francisco Lindor, Alcides Escobar, J.J. Hardy, three years in a row. Yeah, J.J. Peter won at least five, and then Omar Vizquel just won forever. Yeah, 
All sides, Escobar won a gold glove. That's weird to me. I didn't think he was a very good defender. Michael Young won one. Eric Ibar. I mean, if you hadn't said Michael Young, I would have never even put him in the shortstop category. That guy could hit. Good player. How many that, play was, that, that play was magic. No. How many career hits does Michael Young have? Did you get the 3,000? I feel like there was a moment where he did, but he did not. 2,000, maybe then. Yeah, 23, 75. Yeah, so then they celebrated yeah, they the 2,000. Twice. Yeah. He could hit twice. He, he was He's a 200 good. hit guy. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, if you don't put this in, if you don't put the Iglesias play in, then people go make sure you go out and look at that play because it was I I don't know I I couldn't make that play. <laughs> That's for sure. I couldn't the even one, throw a ball like that. The one in Detroit, the one in Detroit he got like a little arm circle on. Yeah. I guess he did in this one too, but it was like it's so quick. It's just like it his just arm looks like it literally just, looks like he's pushing the ball to first base. He does it so fast. That's how fast it is. And he that they threw out Kyle Lewis, right? That guy flies. It's crazy. When the the one from today, when I, it was like that slow check swing he got The first one was at the White Sox. He threw out Josh Fegley. He didn't throw out uh, – it wasn't at the Fenway. It was against Josh Fegley. It was with Detroit. Yeah, yeah I can't see. Throwing out Josh Fegley and Kyle Lewis is a different thing. Both are stupid. Both are just absurd. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Good times. Pickle. That's a Sunday night pickle for you. Nice. Bryson DeChambeau. Did it. Bay Hill Invitation. 377 yard drive. Sorry cool. about it. Sorry about it. Mad scientist. That guy's that guy's crazy. In all the right ways. I love it. He's good, man. He had so <laughs> much respect. He called Arnold Palmer Mr. Palmer the whole post tournament interview. It was awesome. I saw that. I saw that. And Tiger Woods texted him. Tiger Woods from the hospital bed texted him. Play bold. That's awesome. How like how do you stop your adrenaline from flowing if you get a text from Tiger Woods saying go get him? Oh yeah. man, did you see him go after that last putt too? Like he tried to make birdie on eighteen, and he didn't, he only needed par at that point. He left himself a nice little five six footer to come back up the hill to tie it. Westwood made a nice putt to put the pressure on. I was watching last hole. I was watching. Very good, and that was golf by Pelter Pickle. See ya. Pickle out. Pickle out. <laughs> <laughs>